How are music therapists changing the lives of people in Canada? What is the latest research and trends? You are tuned into the Canadian Music Therapy Podcast, and we will explore these questions with our guests today. Let's get started. Welcome to the Canadian Music Therapy Podcast. We are your hosts, Adrian and Kathy. On today's episode, our guest, Dr. Kevin Kirkland, delves into the current research that is happening in BC in the field of music therapy, along with his mission to shed a light on supporting individuals who have had adverse childhood experiences. And here's a little more about Dr. Kevin Kirkland. He has been practicing music therapy since 1989. He's an instructor of music therapy at Capilano University and is more passionate about the field than ever. He joins us today from Vancouver, British Columbia. Welcome to the podcast, Kevin. We are thrilled to have you as our guest today. Thanks for having me. You are welcome. So I wanted to talk a little bit about music, obviously. And so what is it about music that clients are so drawn to in your work setting? Mm. I work in a concurrent disorders setting. It's for people who have a major psychiatric condition as well as addiction disorders. And there are some 88 patients there who spend up to nine months at the facility. It's a longer term treatment facility. And for many of them, music is what draws them into staying there. And we keep wondering why it's so popular. I mean, music therapy makes sense. And yet this is a population where music has an appeal to them for expressive domain. It gives them a language where verbal skills may not be sufficient. These are some people who have fetal alcohol syndrome. Some clients have developmental delay brain injury and they have taken to music as a means of expressing themselves it's like a language mm -hmm. system unto them and people in this setting are much more musical than i would think the general population and these and they're not trained in royal conservatory they don't come in and say oh, i have my you know pedagogy in in theory <laughs> and yet they can play instruments and guitars and keyboards. It's, it's beautiful to see. Wow. The clients do most of the playing. I really am a facilitator more than someone who you know, provides music for yeah. them only. Wow, that's fascinating. You know, yeah. such a, an interesting group of people and coming through the doors with all of this almost hidden talent and ways to express themselves. And I love the way you put that it is almost a language system in itself. Mm -hmm. And so during your therapeutic relationship, so you might bring an instrument in the session, something that they prefer, and they would play along and, and sort of have that dialogue along with the music. Is that how it goes? Yes, we are fortunate. There are two music therapists at this site. And we have a recording studio, which is not open right now because of COVID. Yet that is very much the draw. Uh, you, you could call it a buy-in as well for clients who come off of a locked assessment unit, come down to the music therapy studio and they go, ah, you know, they look around. They can't believe that there's 
uh, recording software, there are guitars hanging on the walls, there's a piano, there's a drum kit there, and it feels humanizing for them. Some people come and, and will decide to stay because there's music available at the mm. site. Wow, a recording studio, that is amazing. I mean, it must be just so inspiring. It, it really is. Uh, it, and it's taken my practice into, into new areas. Mm -hmm. And so can you tell us a little bit more about what you are currently researching? Sure. I, I came from working for many years with the elderly. So a lot of my work there was on dementia and musical memory in the brain and now it's moving into uh, addictions work because i've worked at this facility for uh, the past uh, nine years now and my current uh, proposal for a, a research project is on adverse childhood experiences it's a group that i co-lead with my, my colleague shannon nesbitt who's also a music therapist and it includes uh, music and expressive arts elements within it. So I have a proposal in to look at the, the, the benefits and outcomes of, of that group. Mm. And do you have a sense of which way this research will go? What are sort of those outcomes that you're thinking about? Good question. We're, we're just deciding uh, whether to make this entirely quantitative and look at if people have better self-esteem by the end or better agency or fewer relapses was so what kind of measures will capture the nature of the group and, mm -hmm. and it's uh, any measurements of success okay and is that specific to addictions or concurrent disorders it's it's specific to the concurrent disorders uh yet we imagine that if there are benefits to the group that this would be a transferable program for other kinds of settings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds terrific. Mm -hmm. I love how you incorporate music and it's really as part of the fabric of all the work and the research that you do. Yes. Kevin, I'm going to jump in here and I just want to share that a book that you wrote a long time ago, or some people would say a long time ago in the 90s, um, Full Circle Spiritual Therapy for the Elderly is a book that has had a great influence on me and my practice. And um, I actually built a group based around your what you laid out for a framework in that book and um, have shared it with many, many interns and colleagues over the years. So I'm very grateful for that work that you were doing previously and that you that you put that forward and shared it. And I know you wrote it in collaboration with another author. Right. As well, as well. So what music therapy area are you involved with developing in BC now? Mm. Uh, largely adult and teen mental health and uh, settings. Uh, not only because that's been my workplace, but because I teach at Capilano University, we started to fine tune the last practicum experience for teen and adult mental health and some medical health settings, which might be uh, hospice and, and the like. But what we found you know, eight or nine years ago is that there, there wasn't a lot, of, a lot of work 
in mental health, we had uh, Riverview, which had a core group of talented music therapists at it, but people weren't really seeing the value of it or knowing about it. And so uh, I started developing practicum placements for students at new sites that have never had a music therapist where they could have a site supervisor and then supervision from faculty from Nancy McMaster and, and me. And the work speaks for itself. And facilities would go, oh, I didn't know this is what music therapy can be. This is what it looks like. Oh, I had thought it was going to be a sing-along. And here they're coming in and they're doing all these other kinds of programs and approaches and, and counseling is involved in that. And they would say, we have to have some of this. How do we, how do we hire someone after their internship? Or could we, could we pay for their supervision during internship? And create a position. So slowly over the past years, that practicum has developed and led to job creation in, in this area. Oh, and that's so important. And mm -hmm. I love that you say, you know, music therapy um, is evident in itself. You know, it really speaks for itself. And then the value is clearly seen. And then positions created, which is really, um, really fabulous for our profession as a whole. And most importantly for the clients who are benefiting mm -hmm, exactly uh, from working with your students. Yes. So I have another question for you, which is um, why did you start a group for adverse childhood experiences and how does music therapy connect to that? Yes. This started out of the beginning of the pandemic where most of our programs got tossed out the, the studio had to be uh, closed because it's a small space, uh, no windows, no ventilation. And we said, well, what are we going to do? So we're offering different kinds of small group programs. And I had called up um, videos uh, by Gabor Mate on adverse childhood experiences. And I showed it to a group one Sunday morning and they said, this is fantastic. And we had a good talk about it. And they said, we don't, we don't have this kind of group here, really. You know, a lot of us have had adverse childhood experiences. And I had printed a, the questionnaire that was used in the original study, which has 10 questions about adversity that you've experienced. And all the clients, by and large, have very high scores in this area. Certainly not everyone, but as you know, trauma is, um, is prevalent in a lot of mental health settings. And so we said, well, what if we started a group on this? Oh. And they were, they were encouraged. The facility was encouraged by it. After we did some evidence generation about it. That was, that was informed by uh, the clients coming up with identifying this need, recognizing that there's a gap for it. Um, also tied into my own PhD work, which was on the creative arts and trauma and sexual abuse. So it made sense that I could bring forward my personal history into offering a program that would be meaningful for the clients. So we developed and are still developing a, about a 12 week to 16 week program 
for for the clients and who identify when they come in as as having a history that would uh, help them recognize how childhood trauma affects their mental health and substance use. And the, the music and the creative arts is included because there has been so much emerging evidence that expression and creativity is needed in pairing with this. I had taken a course with a, a psychologist in the summer, Lori Gill from uh, Toronto, who has a, a, a fabulous method who, who gets in there right away to work on adversity that people have been through, but also uses a lot of creativity and the arts. So we're finding that the clients not only talk about it, but they find ways of externalizing it, putting it on the paper, putting it into dance movement, putting it into song. Uh, the more creative you can be with trauma, the better the health outcomes, what the literature is saying. I love um, using the word metabolize, you mm. know, um, and I use it in relation to grief, but I think, uh. well, as you're speaking about this, I'm thinking um, we need to move the trauma and it needs to be expressed and experienced in our bodies and externalized. Mm. And that's what I feel like you're describing when I'm hearing you talk about this. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, any chance you have a story from your work that you could share with us? Oh, I do. I do have a, a story from uh, from the recording studio that we have, uh, there was a there was a young man. I have consent for this, a young man who twenty years old, uh, from uh, Iran originally, and uh, came came to us with a schizoaffective disorder and very serious uh, substance use and hospitalizations and many episodes of nearly dying from mm -hmm. substance use terrible time with impulse control and self-regulation and when he was admitted I received a referral right away from the psychiatrist for music because this was a, a man who liked to create his own beats and and write uh, rap songs and if you can harness what a client is passionate about then that's key so he came for individual sessions and he also came to group sessions that were offered. And throughout his stay, he remained almost entirely on that assessment unit, which is uncharacteristic because you usually spend about three or four weeks there. But for him to move on to a treatment unit, he could not manage that structure without the, the danger of relapse. And he would come to individual sessions and he would, he had his own style. Uh, of rap writing, which was based on what people wanted to hear. He was, he was marketing to an audience and he thought it had to be about money and the dope game and, and that. And he was challenged by, by me and uh, Sam King, who was doing his internship with me, to write from a personal perspective. So what, about, what about you? Where are you in the music? Where's your struggle with addiction? And he, he bristled at that and he appreciated that. And he would come back the next time and say, mm, you know, you, you guys gave me a tough time. So what one day 
he he came to the rap session. It was a group, and we were using a template based on a poem by Shane Koizhin. It goes, uh, this is my voice. There are many like it, but this one is mine. And there are many I statements. So we use that template of like, I wonder, I cry, I hope, I am, and I have uh, uh, that segment that I can play for you. And I am everything I hate. I wonder if it's a debate. I hear everything they state. I see drugs as escape. I want to change my fate. I am constantly in ruins. I pretend I know what I'm doing. I feel that I can change. I worry about my brain. I cry when I think about the pain. I am trying to see another way. I understand I might not see another day. I say what I better mean. I dream to be forever clean. I try not to think about the craving. I hope to not ever cave in. I am everything I love. That's him talking so personally about his struggle with addiction and his worries and his thoughts and his hopes. So the, the music brings out uh, more of an authentic self yeah. in him. And what I learned after first starting there is that it takes more than the more than just welcoming whatever they bring to the studio that sometimes the clients do need a lot of prompt and push to help them towards recovery it's it's kind of a tough love and that's where your skill as a therapist comes in mm -hmm. uh, absolutely um but giving him a voice yes what what better way and then to have an mp3 of it afterwards so he can hear his words and and keep that even when he's not at the facility and maybe share it with others too absolutely you can put it on soundcloud you can share it on facebook yeah. which would take courage but also yeah another powerful way of mm -hmm. sharing that experience oh wow it's so innovative um you know, the fact that you have a recording studio that's enticing and helps with um, comfort, helps people want to stay, and then what you're able to do with it, you know, where, the, where you're able to take things. I find that practice-informed or practice-based inquiry is what I function from. It, it was the same with Full Circle. It was seeing a need that was missing there and and how to address that and with the recording studio it was about oh you know what what is it about rap and recovery that could be paired and and written about what is it about the value of recording what that does for for clients and the same thing with the adverse childhood experiences group oh there's a need here how how does music fit into this and how could this be introduced so music therapy is this wonderful creative profession that has room for lots of development in new areas. Absolutely. Well, it's so exciting, all of the different ways you've been able to use music throughout your career. 
to help people. And I am very excited to hear about your research proposal being accepted and what happens there. And I also think it's really cool that such a dark time of a global pandemic um, led to the innovation of creating this group, this group support group for adverse childhood experiences and looking at the work of Gabor Mate, which does resonate with us as music therapists, absolutely. Yeah. And then, and Lori Gill's work as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, really mm-hmm. wonderful opportunity during challenging times, which is what music therapists are so good at. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. We are so grateful to have had you here with us today and to be able to share your voice and the fantastic work that you're doing. Thanks very much. It's been an honor. I really enjoyed our interview today with Dr. Kirkland. I thought that uh, there was so much information around clients with concurrent disorders, but also. Um, clients in general who access music therapy and different music therapy um, interventions. And so one of the points he made later on in the interview was talking about emerging studies showing that um, expression of creativity leads to better health outcomes, which I think is amazing. So not just through music, through all types of creativity that really Um, are unique to each person. So someone might like to really be hands-on with uh, creativity in terms of painting or clay, and others might, you know, express themselves through dance, while others through listening to music or creating music. So I just love the fact that there are emerging studies coming out that do tie these two pieces together. And I can just imagine the amazing um, programs and interventions that will be created in the coming years as a result of these studies. And another thing that Kevin touched on was about um, harnessing what a client is passionate about. So in this particular case, he talked about music and the musical inclination of a lot of the clients he was talking to and uh, treating. And I know that you found some of that really interesting as well. Well, I thought it was um, fascinating when Kevin talked about how musical the clients that he works with are. So these individuals um, who have concurrent disorders have an innate musicality. And he noted maybe even different than the general population. And so when they come to the space that they've been able to create, um, it's a draw, it's humanizing, and it is a space that then lends itself to creativity and invites people to want to stay. And that opportunity for creativity, like you just said, leading to better health outcomes. And why? Why? And I'll tell you what I think and what I think creative arts therapists know, what we learn and know, is that being creative is about connecting to self, like Kevin was saying, needing that push, needing that prod 
um, you know, asking his clients to identify where he is, who am I, I am, I do, you know, finding your own voice and then expressing it. So connecting internally to that place of self-awareness and then creating and externalizing. And so here we're talking about rap or song or lyrics or music, but this could also be playing expressively like piano, guitar, drums, various instruments or moving or expressive arts as well. You know, there's many ways to create and and to sum up with what both you said and what Kevin said, it's about finding that individual person's passion. And one thing I wanted to just add to that, uh, that we talked about at the end was the recording of that piece, the recording that we heard in this podcast and in the interview and how it is something that the client themselves can refer back to, but they could also share this with other people as they wish in terms of a way to connect them to their issues, um, to help them with an understanding of where they are in their life. And I think that's powerful, not only in this particular case, but it could be a piece of artwork. It could be an expressive dance. It could be something like that, where um, it is, like he said, this language system on its own. It so is. A lot of the work that I do is legacy work, which is a parallel to this. So for someone who's um, at the end of their life to create a piece of music, an original song that leaves a message, words of wisdom, words of hope, words of advice, words of memories. Um, but I, what, who comes to mind right now, I'll I'll share one story with you is a client that I worked with in a bereavement support group who wrote a song that was very expressive of how it felt for her to no longer have her life partner. And we recorded it. And when she visited her family and was with them in person, she shared it. And she said it was such a powerful tool to have to help them truly understand her internal experience that she could not express in words. Thank you for joining us on the Canadian Music Therapy Podcast. To learn more about resources from the show, please visit beyondthestudio.ca. Thanks for listening.